boy, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's, it's, it's a blessing to hear um, Brother Marshall talk about the, just the unity you can have around God's Word. And um, I, just, I just believe that this, is, that this is the very book that God gave us to live our life by, to walk by, to believe its teachings, its doctrine. And I just believe it. I believe every word it says. I don't, I don't, I don't question one word of this book. And I love it. I love it. I'm not perfect. And uh, uh, newsflash, uh, you're not either. And, uh, but by the grace of God, we can walk in the truth together. And it sure is great. And man, what a blessing to, to know we have the same heroes, you know. Popeye. I would have never thought we have the same heroes. Popeye. <laughs> that was really funny to me, and like four people laughed. Come on, folks. Goodness, you can have fun in the house of God. You can enjoy that. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Man, I love, I love being here. I miss being home. I think if you're called to preach and pastor, um, when you're not at home, you still miss it. You know, you miss, we miss being at New Heights this morning. Um, but uh, I co-pastor with Brother Matt Martinez, and he's, he's preaching all day today. And um, Brother Matt is a wonderful preacher of the Word of God, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what happens and what goes on this, this morning there. But I'm very grateful to be here. I'm thankful for the message and song. I'm thankful for all the music. That has got me uh, thinking about home. It's a similar spirit and attitude with the music and everything that uh, takes place back home at, at New Heights. And I just thinking about that song, Grace. If it, listen, if it, if it were not for grace, I mean, where would we be? I know where I would be. I'd be lost and bound for a devil's hell. I'd be lost and separated from God. I've been ate up with self and money and pleasures and all the things that this world has to offer. I'd have been ate up with it. Were not for the grace of God. You know. Well, I'm excited to be here, and I'm looking forward to getting to the message. And I just have to talk a little bit so that uh, the butterflies settle down. And then eventually, I feel them kind of come into formation. So right now, we're in formation. So let's go to Luke chapter 20. Luke in chapter in number 20, and um, I don't know, um, is it appropriate to stand? Is it, if you're physically able, would you stand for the reading of the word? Just want to read some verses here. Luke chapter 20, verses 39 to 47, verses 39 to 47. I really enjoy the Gospels. I enjoy studying the Gospels. Um, it's a wonderful study. I, I thoroughly enjoy studying the Gospel of Luke. I, I love the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's, it's just powerful. It's, it's something about it that connects, and I just really enjoy it. So I want to draw your attention to verse number 39. The Bible says, Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And after, they that, durst not ask, and, and after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. Now, just for mind's sake, we've got to go back. We've got to think a little bit backwards because they had been asking him question after question after question after question. They had been grilling him, trying to get him to go this way or that way and say some things to incriminate himself. They were trying to corner him. That's all they ever tried to do to Jesus. They always, they always wanted him to stumble somewhere. And, and he never would. Well, because he wasn't just a man. Um, he, was the, he was the incarnate son of God. And so, therefore, he was perfect. He always knew their intentions and their hearts. The entire thing. So uh, he's kind of coming to the end of some of those, and now we're going to jump right in here. 
going to continue reading that text. The Bible says in verse number 41, And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? Then the audience of all the people, pardon me, then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love, greet, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. This morning, I have a question I would like to pose to you, and it's the title of the sermon. And it would be this. What say you? What do you mean, what, what do I say? What do you say of Christ? Who do you say that he is? That's very important to answer that question. It's very important to answer that question. So let's go to the prayer and ask God to help us. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. God, I pray you'd help me as I begin to preach. Help me, God, to lean in and lean on you. And I pray, God, that you would just speak through, us, the, through me and, God, that the word would have free course in the midst of this wonderful church today and these wonderful people. And, God, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I've already been blessed and encouraged by the music, by the spirit of the people, by the, your presence. So, Father, I pray that you would just meet with us even, even more in the midst of this time, that, God, you would accomplish your perfect will. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Would it be safe to say that in our time here in this part of, well, just part of existence that you and I get to live in in this present day, in this present age, would it be a safe thing to say that we live in a world that is full of objections? It's full of objections. Uh, everybody has an objection about something. Uh, everyone is upset about how they're treated. Everyone's upset about the things that have gone on in, in, in their lives. Everyone has an objection with all kinds of, of different scenarios. And we could go down a list of objections that exist in our culture. But, you know, I don't want to depress us. <laughs> because it really can get depressing if your only hope is what you see going on out in this world. It can be discouraging when we look out around us and see all the things that are taking place. And we can blame it on this group or we can blame it on that group. But you know, in reality, I just want to say this, in reality, we, 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 have, we have an adversary. And the last time I checked, he is the prince of the power of the air. And he does have influences in this, in this world and in this man's system and in and, and this cosmos. He has an impact. And, and I'm telling you, I, I believe with all of my heart that the objections uh, are going to get worse. I don't think it's going to get better. I think things are going to, be, to get more intense uh, as we get closer to the, the, the trumpet sounding and taking us home. But when we have these objections, it always finds a way to bring confusion Objections always seem to bring confusion. It brings confusion into almost every single situation. So I want you to hear this definition. It, it simply says this, that which is presented in opposition, adverse reason or an argument, 
Uh, when, when, when we talk about these objections that exist in our world, um, uh, most of the time it's not based on a principle of truth. Most of the time it's based upon a principle of some level of offense. And so the reality is objections are going to come and we're going to face this. And the people in the, and, and the, the, the religious groups in the New Testament were, were no different. Jesus was coming and declaring himself to be the Son of God. He was presenting himself to a lost and dying world. He went to the Jew first, and then he went to the Greek. He communicated the gospel to those that would listen. And listen, please, when people started believing on Christ, it began to impact the religious, uh, uh, the, 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 the religious scene of the day. Uh, all of those religious people, the scribes, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, it all began to impact them because now all of those people that were, that, that were coming to the temple, all of those people that were doing their giving and all those different things, they were now leaving that and beginning to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you begin to see those people pull away and go this direction, it shook up the world of the religious elites. It shook up their mindsets and all the sudden they're upset and now they are going to go and question and try to 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 bring falsehoods against this one who is leading these folks in the way of righteousness so they would bring objections in a court of law objections can be brought before the judge it can be objections to multiple things but many times an objection can be brought concerning even evidence that is there it's very much a part of the legal system But listen to this, please. It feels like Jesus has been fielding objections from all of these groups over and over and over again. Every single group. One day it's the scribes. The next day it's the Sanhedrin. Uh, The next day it could be the Sadducees. The next day it could be the Pharisees. And the whole time they're bringing these objections, hear me please, they are not searching for truth. They're not looking for an answer from from Jesus that's going to change their heart. They're not seeking Jesus because they're seeking truth. They're not seeking Jesus because they want to know him and and, and they want to have fellowship with him. No, no, no. They are seeking Jesus because they desire to find his faults and to find where he's wrong. And they want to pin him to the wall and they want to have that leverage against him, my friends. There's no true intent. There's no positive intention. There's no true seeking of Jesus. You see, there was all these folks in these religious in, 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 the, in the religious world, and it was affecting them. It was affecting their impact, their power, their prestige. In their mind, it was impacting their purpose. But my soul, friends, miracles were happening. I mean, miracles were happening. Things were changing. Did you know the Sadducees didn't like miracles? Yeah, they didn't believe in anything supernatural. So all of a sudden you got some person that can't see, and now he's walking around saying he can. And they're asking, well, how did that happen? That guy. And all of a sudden you have someone that can't hear, and now all of a sudden they can hear, and then they're telling them about it, well, how did that happen? Well, it was Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember when they got healed and Jesus would say, shh, don't tell anybody. Do you remember that? And what would they do? Tell everybody. 
They couldn't hold it in because they were blind and now they could see and they were deaf and now they would, could hear. They were dumb and now they could speak. They were lame and now they could walk. And, and, and you can't keep that stuff inside. You can't just hold that inside. If you do, you will, listen, you have the potential of spontaneously combusting. When you understand what Jesus has delivered you from, when you understand that the one who's done that miracle has made you different, has changed you from the inside out and made you a new creature and he's made all things new, when you begin to fully understand that through the revelation of himself and his holy precious word, eventually, my friend, it has to come out in some sort of sacrifice of praise and some sort of declaration of the goodness of God you can't keep it in. And they spoke about it. The Sadducees didn't like it. They didn't like the truth that was being taught by this man. They didn't like the miracles that were taking place. And that's why it was, that's why it was so sad to be a Sadducee. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. I mean, I can't, uh, but that's really common today. Listen, there's people that sit in, in independent Baptist churches that still don't think that God supernaturally works. Even though they, listen, he supernaturally saved them. But yet when we look around and see things and, and see what God is doing and people, oh, that's just the nature of how things are going to go. No, 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 no. God still supernaturally works and involves themselves, listen, in the lives of his people. Still does it. Miracles, nobody likes to talk about it. But miracles still happen. No, 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 don't, don't get nervous. I'm not talking like the hocus pocus kind of ways. I'm not talking about like, you know, and then like, shazam. I'm talking about... I'm not talking about that. But how else do you explain a person who was told they were going to be dead from cancer in two months and all of a sudden they go back and the doctor looks after God's people have prayed and sought his face and all of a sudden he goes in and the doctor looks at him and says, I can't explain it, but you no longer have cancer. That's the supernatural hand of God. Well, how else do you explain it? How else do you explain it when you go to the doctor and, and, and a mama gets an ultrasound on the baby and husband and, and mom are there and, and the baby's in there and the doctor looks at him and says, well, your, doc, your, your, your son or your daughter's going to have all these health problems and going to have all this and the heart's not working right and the lungs don't work right. Looks like part of the brain's not even functioning. Da, da, da. They go down the whole list of stuff and then, of course, at the end, what do they offer? Come on. Come on. Yep. You don't need to carry on that burden. And they offer what the world offers. They don't value life. How do you explain when they go back to the doctor four weeks later after everybody's been praying and all of a sudden that same doctor says, huh, I can't explain it. It appears as if that heart's working the way it's supposed to work. It appears that those lungs are developing just like it's supposed to. All of a sudden that brain seems to be doing just like what it's supposed to do. What, what do you mark that up to? Amen. The wonders of modern medicine? I say no. I, I mark that up to the miracle working hand of a loving and a kind and a gracious and a good God who still works in our lives. But people don't like to hear that. 
Because we as people think that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. Like it's something we did. The reality is it's nothing that we've done. It's the grace of God. And they were seeing the grace of God and they did not like it. They wanted, listen, they wanted no part of Jesus. But Jesus was not going to just walk away from them. Jesus begins to speak to them and begins to confront them. And he asked them a question in verse number 41. How say, how say they that Christ is David's son? Think about that. Think about that. When we, when we hear that, we kind of maybe even blow by it and don't think much of it. But that's a major problem for the Jewish religious leaders. Because the people, the people were calling him the son of David. No, 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 no. you, you got you to see this. You, you have to catch this. And, and The blind man in Jericho in verse number 38 declared, Jesus, thou son of David, the woman of Canaan in Matthew chapter number 15, she said this, O Lord, thou son of David. The people, the, the, just the people, doesn't matter their status in life from, the, from, from a peasant, listen, to the ones who had great rule, they were calling him the son of David. So when he asked this question, it pricks into their minds, into their hearts. And listen, it's it's important for us to understand this. It is well known, it is well known that Jesus, yes, very much so is the son of David. Because the aforementioned groups would have to deny the truth of something that was very important in the Jewish world. They would have to deny the truth of lineage. In order to believe that Jesus Christ was not the son of David, they would have to refuse to accept what was already recorded in the temple. They would have to refuse to accept what was already placed on this physical earth. They would have to refuse all of those things that previous to Jesus coming, they counted to be true and they counted to be right. Listen, they knew if they went to the temple and they researched the lineage of this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, they knew what they would find. They knew if they looked at the prophecies of the coming Messiah that everybody box would be checked. If they honestly looked at the scriptures, they knew who Jesus was. Verse number 42, the Bible tells us, and David himself saith, in the book of Psalms, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Now I'm just going to be real honest with you. Psalm 110 is one of my most favorite Psalms in the whole book of Psalms. I absolutely love it. It's one of my most favorite psalms. I, I want you to think about something. When, 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 when Jesus uses this psalm, he, he, he uses it on purpose because the Jews revered David. He was a great and a mighty king. The Bible says in 2 Samuel seven thirteen, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Listen, this is God blessing David. This is God speaking of David's perpetuity. This is God speaking of of, of the kingdom that he's going to put him over. In Jeremiah chapter 23, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about King Jesus coming in that righteous branch. 
Micah 5, 2, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet, of, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is, to be, that, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus Christ is not just some public historical figure, but that he is part of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus Christ came into this earthly world. But my friends, Jesus always has been, and he always will be. He never, he, he didn't come into existence. He always has existed. He is the eternal Son of God. That should be encouraging to us. What say you of him? When he goes to Psalm 110, we have to understand that Psalm 110 is a powerful and a wonderful psalm. When he literally says, the, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Slow down and think about that. Before we go any further, it needs to be said about Psalm 110, it needs to be said this, it is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Do you hear me? It is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It is rich with doctrine. It talks about the Godhead. It talks about the inspiration of Scripture. It talks about the second advent, the kingdom rule. It talks about intercession for the saints. Beloved, it's the depth and the fullness of this psalm. And listen, this is so rich and so good. Psalm 110 needs to be declared and preached throughout the ages, and it should be, and it will be, because my friends, when you see it and you preach it, you cannot help but see God. What's amazing to me, the Lord Jesus Christ uses it to declare the truth that these men had so emphatically denied. Oh, there's no way. He's not the son of David. Well, how do you explain this? David penned it under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. How do you explain it when he says, the Lord, all caps, which means Jehovah God, said unto my Lord, which is El Lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. The reason is that is because Jehovah God told the Son of God, you're going to sit right here at my right hand. And David had already believed and, 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 and given his heart to that truth that, that there was Jehovah, but there was his Son because he had been revealed through the ages in shadows and pictures and types all the way through the Old Testament to where Jesus should have never, I'll say it one more time, should have never been denied. Even David, David, the one that they revered, penned, the Lord said unto my Lord, God talking to his son. That's an amazing truth. That's an amazing truth. Declared right there in the Psalms, written by the Holy Spirit of God. David saw all the prophecies of the coming Savior, and, and, had in light, and, and, and in light of those things that, that had been given to him, he, he acknowledged and declared that the Lord was his Lord. Not only was, you've got to slow down and think about this. Not only was Jesus Christ the son of David, but Jesus Christ was David's Savior. Now that, that, that weirds people out. Not only... <laughs> Not only was Jesus Christ the son of David, but Jesus Christ was David's savior. Here's the man they revered. The man they lift up, King David. And yet he says in his own, by testimony of his own pen, under leadership of God, he says, 
this Lord is mine. Well, that's, that's problematic for them. That's problematic for their position. Listen, the only explanation is that Jesus Christ is both God and man. As eternal God, Jesus is David's Lord, but as man, he is David's son. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse and number 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So clearly you have a earthly realm and you have a spiritual realm. Clearly there's things that you have an earthly father here, but if you know Christ, you have a heavenly father in heaven in the spiritual realm. What a blessing it is to know that we have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, he is who he said he is. He is the holy incarnate son of God. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 2, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being taught by the, uh, by the right hand of God, pardon me, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, listen, both Lord and Christ. So the thing that we need to understand this very morning is that it matters whom you say Jesus is. I think it would be fair to say in an assembly like this this morning, we could be here and there's many people that have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. I got saved April 5th of 1995. I'll never forget it. Brother Ron Jones brought the gospel to me and presented it to me, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, now, some of you might know Brother Ron Jones. I don't know. And he may be a little goofy, but he doesn't mess around with the gospel. And he gave me the gospel, and that night, I'll never forget it. At 10.55 p.m. Uh, in the Smith Dormitory at BBC in Springfield, Missouri, I knelt down by a yucky, yucky, crusty old bunk bed in a dorm room, and I prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me my sin and to save me. And when I stood up, you know what he did? He saved me. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'm trying to tell you, my friends, if you ask me who Jesus is, just like many in this room would say, if you were to ask me who Jesus is, I would say this. He's my Savior. Amen. He's not just my Savior, but He's my friend. That's to get closer than a brother. He's not just my Savior, but He's my Redeemer, which means this. He bought me out of that slave market of sin and purchased that possession, and He took me off of that block, and He took me out in front of that slave market, my friends, and He set me out there in front of it, and then He looked at me and He cut those shackles off, and He cut those shackles of sin that had been existing for all those years, and He broke me loose, and He said, now go forth, son. Now go forth and serve me. And I'm trying to tell you, my friends, He's not just my Savior. He's not just my friend. He's not just my redeemer. But I'm trying to tell you, he is my king. That's who he is. But I also understand there could be people in this room that would say this. I'm not really sure I know who he is. Oh, I've heard about him. And I've heard you guys get up there and yell and get all sweaty about it. But I'm not sure I know who he is. Well, there was a guy similar to that in the New Testament. No, he was very similar to that. You might have heard of him. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And, and he was actually a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was 
circumcised of the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin, and he was, he was kind of a big deal. I mean, as a matter of fact, he had zeal. I mean, more, more, he had more zeal than you could shake a stick at. He was kind of what he was known for. He was a very passionate guy. And so he actually stood there. I talked about this the other day, gentlemen, at the recharge. He stood there while, while those people uh, 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 stoned Stephen to death. Do you, do you remember that in the book of Acts? And, and all Stephen d- did was preach one of the most powerful messages that's ever been preached. All he did was tell those people the truth. Guess what? About God? About Jesus? That's all he did was tell them the truth. And, and then, and then when, when he looked at them and said this, that they were stiff-necked and they were hard-hearted, and then, he, and, and then he had the audacity to look at them and said, just as your fathers are, just like they were, guess what? So are you. A little confrontational in his preaching. <laughs> and they turned on him. And the Bible says this, that they stopped their ears and they rushed upon him. And when they rushed upon him, they, listen, the Bible says that they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, if you read, if, if you read like, I always joke around at home and I say, if you read a bunch of theology from a bunch of dead guys, those are called commentaries. <laughs> if you read a bunch of them, they explain all that away. They say stuff like, oh, they didn't gnash on him with their teeth. They just came and they said some very harsh things. Well, I, okay, I mean, if you, if you have to like water down the Bible and make it cozy. But when I read it, I read this, that they gnashed on him with their teeth, which means they bit him. They physically assaulted him because they were so angry at what he was saying and they were so angry they lost control and they stomped their ears and they rushed him and they gnashed on him and they gnashed on him and then they threw him out to be stoned and listen, he was stoned. What a wonderful transaction takes place. Come and just take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts. In verse number seven, chapter number seven, in verse fifty-one, remember this: Saul of Tarsus, he was given to religion. He was given to religion. Stephen preaching in verse number 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now uh, been now the betrayers and, mur- and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. Reminder, they had been given the oracles of God. No, no, no. The Jews had been given the oracles of God. God had given them to them. And they wouldn't follow them. They wouldn't believe them. They didn't keep them. Different sermon, different day, but that's important. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open. Now he's getting gnashed on with their teeth and and, and they're, they're angry, he says, and the stones are flying. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and came uh, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was, say it out loud, Saul. 
Stephen was stoned to death. In the midst of that tragic scene, he looks up and all these things are happening and he sees, he sees into the heavens and he sees the Father and he sees the Son and he sees the Son standing at the right hand of God. And as he sees this transpiring and he sees the heavens open and makes this declaration, they can't handle it anymore and they all descend upon him. And the Bible says in verse number 59, as they stone Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Wow. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, Saul of Tarsus witnessed that. No, 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 he witnessed that. He, he stood there holding their coats. He held the coats of the men that were gnashing on and stoning Stephen to death. Now go to Acts chapter 9, please. Are y'all still okay? We're still friends? That's good. I like having friends. Not enough to change, (laughs) you know what I mean. Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired them letters to Damascus to to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, that's what they called, called believers at that time, of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Let me arrest all the men and women I can. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, and suddenly, don't you love how the Bible just transitions into something amazing? And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Larry? No. He said, who art thou, Lord? That's a stark difference from the way he had referred to him previously. Stark difference, friends. Notice with me. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What do we know? We know this. We know that Saul watched all those things transpire with Stephen and Saul went out about his business but Saul still had to go to bed at night and Saul still had quiet times and I'm telling you when he wasn't busy and he wasn't thinking about all the things he had to get done, I'm trying to tell you those pricks in his heart from what he had seen, the declaration of this Stephen as he looked into the eyes and said, oh I see the heavens open and and, and I see God and and listen, I see the Son of God standing on the right, I, I see it all and he's It's pricking his heart. And he can't get away from it, church. He can't get away from it. To the point to where when this transaction happens, he says this, and he trembling and astonished astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? All of a sudden, this wasn't just some way. All of a sudden, this wasn't just some story. All of a sudden, this man, Jesus 
who had performing all these miracles, this man, Jesus, who had died on that cross, this man, Jesus, who was borrowed in a buried tomb, this man, Jesus, who had resurrected, this man, Jesus, who, listen, the earth had declared it, this man, Jesus, where there were over 500 eyewitnesses to it, this man, Jesus, that, is the, that, 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 that they've been talking about, he is Lord. There's a difference, church. So the Lord told him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You see, my friends, Saul of Tarsus, his opinion changed of who Jesus was. No, 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 hear me. Before he met him on the Damascus Road, he had an experience watching Stephen die. That experience caused his mind to be open and his heart to be pricked to the reality that this Jesus is who he said he was. So therefore, when confronted by him, his only response could be, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You are who you say you are. Therefore, I must follow you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And he went to the backside of the desert, and I don't have time to preach it. Oh, man, it's so good. You remember when he goes to the backside of the desert, and God's working on him, and God's getting some of those things worked out, and then all of a sudden, God speaks to Ananias, and he tells him to go find him. And he says, go find him, and I want you to go talk to him. And Ananias says, excuse me? <laughs> um, uh, um, Lord... Um, so he was killing all of us and arresting us before that happened. You want me to do what? I want you to go find him. And I want you to put your hand on him. I want you to talk to him. And I think one of the most beautiful scenes of the good grace of God ever in the Bible is when Ananias goes, obeys God and walks up to him. And on my mind, he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Brother Saul, it's an amazing thing to go from an, enemy of, to, from an enemy of God to a friend of God and a brother. You see, I just want to tell you this morning, it really, it's really important for you and I to know what we believe about Jesus Christ. You may be here today and you might be like Saul and all of you seen his religion and all of you seen is the pump and the circumstance, and it's all you've ever seen. Well, I just want you to know that Jesus is, listen, that Jesus loves you today. And that he loved Saul of Tarsus long before Saul of Tarsus ever claimed him to be Lord. He loved Saul of Tarsus long before, long before Saul of Tarsus ever ever called him Lord. And be reminded that that change that God made in him, it had a profound impact. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, Saul of Tarsus is a fellow you might have heard of named Paul the Apostle. Well, what does that mean? God used him to write most of the New Testament. The very things that you and I apply in church and life and personal holiness and our personal walk, God used, listen, God used Paul the Apostle to pen it. 
And so this impact that, 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 that took place when, when Saul of Tarsus trusted Christ, when he believed on him, it had a profound impact on the rest of the world. And I'm trying to tell you, my friends, you may be here and you may think he's a teacher. You may think he was just a good man. You may think he was a, a good moral compass. You may think whatever you think about him. But I'm trying to tell you right now, the Bible declares him to be the holy, harmless savior of, of the world. And he came to redeem all of mankind and that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus that wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants to save you. But you have to understand something. If you don't know him, if, if you're lost in your sin, you have to understand I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm just going to ask a question. Has anybody in this room known what it's like to come to Jesus as a sinner, but to stand up as a friend? The night I got saved, I couldn't believe he saved me. Brother Ron Jones took the Bible, opened it up, went through the scriptures. He went to, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. See, the wages of that sin, that separation, that, it, it's separation from God. It's death. It's, you're gone forever. It's, you're in a place called hell. You're separated from God because of our sin. As he explained that to me, I, I remember feeling the weight of my sin. I, I remember it wasn't God's fault that I sinned. It was my, it was my willful choices that I sinned. And, and I realized, wait, I'm a sinner. No, no, no. I'm a sinner. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a moral man. You understand, I went to church every single Sunday growing up. My mom and dad made me go to church. I never wanted to go to church. The only time I ever wanted to go to church is after I got saved. And the only thing I know is this, is I, I was involved in religion. I was involved in being a good moral person. I, was, I thought I was trying to do all these right things. And when I was confronted with the pure word of God, I was confronted with the truth of this holy book. Listen to me, please. I began to see myself as God saw me and that I was a sinner lost and bound for hell. Yes. And when I saw that, the Holy Spirit showed it. And then all of a sudden I looked at Brother Jones and I said, well, what do I do? And he said, well, let's just kneel right in here by the bed. And you just pray and ask God to forgive your sin and save you. And I prayed down, I got down by that bed and I, I, I waxed eloquent. I waxed eloquent. I got down on that bed, I did this. God, I'm a sinner. I know I need you. Would you please save me? That was it. I didn't have a doctrinal thesis. I didn't break down justification, sanctification, separation, and all the different things that people talk about. No, no, no. I knelt down and I trusted in the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And he saved me. And you may be here today. Hold on. And he saved me. And you may be here today. And you may be a moral, just, religious person. But you've never come to Jesus and ask Him to forgive your sin to save you. You may be here and you know. You know you're lost. You know it. I tell you this. Jesus waits.
Sunday, he waits for you to come. With arms wide open, he says, come to me. Just come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll take that burden. I'll take the burden of sin. I'll take that curse of sin. It's mine. I'll take it. I paid for it. I'll apply the blood. It'll be gone. You'll be washed white as snow. Do you know Christ? Who do you say he is? He's the savior of the world, friends. And he wants to save you. The same way that Brother Marshall got saved is the same way God wants to save you. The same way Brother Andrew got saved, the same way he wants to save you. You go around this room and you hear the testimonies of God's people getting saved. There's nothing new. There's nothing fancy. There's no trendy thing we got to do to try to work this in. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves your soul. I'm begging you, please don't walk out of the room without listening to what Jesus did for you. Don't walk out of the room without giving ear to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'd be surprised what God might do. Like, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it's pretty amazing. God keeps his word. If you come to him humbly and Trusting Him as Savior, He'll save you today. And then you might be shocked of how God might use you for His glory. He is an amazing God. Do you know Him? Do you know Him as your Savior and as your King? Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for your word. Just as Jesus confronted those men with the one they revered, David, and showed them that David had believed on him. God, there may be folks here today that just simply don't know you. And they've tried everything they can to stay away. They've tried everything they can to explain you away. They've tried everything they can to Redefine who you are. But God, we know by the testimony of thy word whom ye say that ye are. You are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the eternal Holy Son of God. You are the one who came into this world. You are the one who was born of the Virgin Mary. You are the one who lived a holy and a sinless and a perfect life. You are the one who went and died upon that tree. You are the one who accomplished the death, burial, and resurrection. You are the one who gave us hope. You are the one who forgives sin. God, please, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, God, would you please speak to them? Would you please speak to them so that they, so that they would come to you and believe on you as the one and only Savior. God, there may be people in this room that look around and say, I know who Jesus is, and I know what he's done for me, but I haven't been, I have not been talking about him. I have not been introducing people to him. I haven't been introducing them to Jesus Christ, the Son of David. I haven't been introducing them to my Redeemer, my Savior, and my friend.
I haven't been talking about Him. And God, I pray You'd speak to them and help them understand the need, and how serious it is, what they say about their Savior. And so God, we commit the time of invitation to You and ask You to accomplish Your will as You would see fit. God, we sure do love You, and I'm so grateful that You loved me first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand for a time of invitation. Maybe God has spoken to you. The altars are open. Some have already come.